Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, friends. This show is going to be a little bit different. We are speaking at PodX. If you're living in the future, it was back in May of 2019. If you're living in the present, it's this weekend. So we thought we would go ahead and pre-record our presentation because a lot of you were very sad that you couldn't come to Nashville, which is completely understandable, to see us. So since you can't be with us live, this is our not-quite-live show. And so on with the show. Once upon a time, in the big woods of Pepin, Wisconsin, Pa Ingalls was playing Auld Lang Syne on his fiddle. His daughter, Laura, asked him, what did that mean, Pa? Auld Lang Syne. Don't we all wonder about that? Days of long ago, he said. And Laura Ingalls had, I guess, an existential crisis, though she would certainly not have called it that. Now is now, Pa. It can never be a long time ago. Fast forward to seven-year-old me reading Little House in the Big Woods and having that same line blow my mind. Surely this avocado shag carpet and harvest gold sofa would never be history. That's when I realized at some level that history is nothing more than the stories of people who are living in their own now, just like we are. People who have the same feelings and motivations as now. They're not butterflies pinned in a glass-fronted shadow box. They're not foreign objects in a museum. That honestly changed the way I thought of history way back in my childhood. And though it percolated for a long time, that was really the fundamental inspiration for this podcast. That seed that was planted way back in the 1970s. We thought we would tell you about some of the women whose existence, for a variety of reasons, made it possible for us to be here with you today talking about podcasting. So, in no particular order, just like we do on the podcast here are some women whose lives influenced our own. First, let's take a quick homage to a person without whom none of this would be possible. We're going to go into the way, way back machine and drop you into early 1800s history and the life of Ada Lovelace. Ada was the daughter of Lord Byron, who was... Irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, and full of drink. <laughs> Her imagination was ruthlessly suppressed by her mother in the hopes to turn her into a person as unlike her father as possible. But what it did instead was turn her imagination into this whole other thing. Compressed imagination plus science and math is a potent combination. You almost had to grab her by the back of the dress to just prevent her from leaving out a window to test her bird suit. Like that's what we've, that's what we're left with here. That girl turned into a woman who met a man named Charles Babbage. Charles had invented a computer called the Difference Engine. It was big and bronze and full of clacking gears and quite impressive. It was actually the origins of steampunk, I would say. <laughs> it looks cool, but it's really limited in what it could do. It was kind of just a few steps above a paperweight. So inspired by the pattern cards that workers would feed into jacquard fabric looms, she was inspired to write the first computer language. Outside input would tell a machine what calculations to make. Well, that knowledge sure slept for a while, didn't it? From the 1840s, it took the world quite a while to catch up. She had such an impact that in 
1980, so very much later, a programming language was named in her honor. Even today, the language Ada is used in critical processes like avionics, the railroad, the military, space technology. Basically, when you cannot afford to be wrong, you call on Ada. So a quick thank you to the OG, the original gangster, the old guard. We salute you. Now let's moving on to some women who actually influenced us and this podcast, the Gilded Age heiresses. Once upon a time, I read a book called To Marry an English Lord by Gail McCall and Carol Wallace, all about American heiresses who married into European nobility, mostly British. Interesting, I thought. I was in a job as a commercial designer where I listened to podcasts seven or eight hours a day. Yes, a day. <laughs> After reading that book, I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to load up a bunch of podcasts about that subject and learn as I work. But much to my surprise, there was nothing. And I felt what I must confess is a cold wash of dread. <laughs> Sorry. As I thought to myself, well, if no one else has done it, I guess I'm going to have to do this myself. That my friends, is the ignorance is bliss department. <laughs> Incidentally, that same book that inspired Beckett is the one that was read by a man named Julian Fellows, and he was inspired by it to create a little show you might have heard of called Downton Abbey. So technically, Downton Abbey and the History Chicks are first cousins and can marry under British law. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's <laughs> funny. A couple of years after we had started the show, we were invited to New York to do some shorts for the Biography Channel, and Beckett and I were able to meet up with one of the authors, Carol Wallace, at a swanky French restaurant in New York City. I was very nervous, and I pulled out my raggedy Alec copy <laughs> of To Marry an English Lord. It's been water-stained and dragged hither and yawn and ripped, and pages were written on, and it does not look good. And she was very touched. She said it was almost like the Velveteen Rabbit. It had been loved so well that it had become real. So we can show a picture during the live show, but not here. <laughs> and it's such a great picture. I love that picture. It's Beckett and I and Carol with drinks in front of us. And my face is like a couple drinks in red. It's lovely. <laughs> Marie Antoinette might have been the person that convinced Susan to come on board at all. We all know Marie Antoinette, I think, 14-year-old Austrian archduchess who married the heir to the throne of France, became queen at a very unreasonably young age. We also know her for her spending habits and her tall hair. French Revolution guillotine. There's your 30-second summary of her life. <laughs> Apropos of nothing, as a matter of fact, during the live show, we showed a picture that I took at the Petite Trianon without any people in it, which is a rare unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll put that in the show notes too. And here's my travel tip from me to you. Go when there's wind because the French really hate a draft. <laughs> anyway, Susan and I had known each other only online, which you must admit is super modern, through a mom's forum and we had never met in person. But I thought she had an interesting voice, at least on the screen. And she didn't always think like me, which was just what I wanted. So I called her house. That involved a little bit of stalking. I'm concerned about myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I've always wondered how you got my number. And I cannot remember. Well, it was probably on the forum. Like, you know how we were less concerned with privacy and we just That's probably true. had it sitting there in our profile. So I called her house and her husband answered the phone when That's people true. still answered the phone. Back when most people had a landline, something that we still have. That's I so know. crazy. You could still use that phone number and call my house and get our voicemail because I never answer it. <laughs> 
hey, I said, I wondered if Susan wanted to co-host a podcast with me. And he said the classic phrase, what's a podcast? We hear it less and less, <laughs> but we still hear it. Maybe your relatives still don't know what a podcast is. I had to explain, and you can use this if you want to, that it was a radio show for the internet. And he thought that might just be right up her alley. So we finally did connect. We met for um, dessert, actually, although I don't think it was cake. That would have been ironic. It was pie. The history chicks let them eat pie. <laughs> she didn't say that, just to clear it up. No. <laughs> she didn't say let them eat cake. I just want to put that at the front. Well, uh, I brought a microphone. I do not know why, as if to convince her it's for real. Imagine <laughs> this microphone. It's a 1920s style microphone, just a round lollipop with those metal screens on it. You know, hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. You know, that kind of microphone. I just pulled it out of my purse and set it on the table. Whether it was that or my scintillating personality or the Queen of France, I don't really know, but it was on. What it really was is that I was at a crossroads in my life. My youngest child had just gone off to school and I was a stay-at-home mom. And I said, now what? So I was saying yes to just about everything because I didn't know what path to take. So, of course, I said yes to Beckett. Also because she was the cool kid. And when the cool kid invites you for a sleepover, you go. <laughs> Are you ever stumped for gifts? I know I am. FabFitFun is a great gift for people that we care about, for our mom or our sisters, our best friends, or a friend who is a new mom. I'm going to tell you this. When I had my three children, my closest friends gave me things for myself, not things to share, something just for me. I get my FabFitFun box and I love it. It always seems to come at just the right time that I just need a little bit of pampering. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box. It's delivered four times a year with full-size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99 a box. The box that I just recently got, the summer box, I received it when my daughter was here. So we kind of divvied up the items that were inside. Sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes, they always sell out. You can use our code HISTORY to get $10 off your first box. Go to Fab fitfun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code history to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 value for only $39.99. Go to fabfitfun.com and use our code history to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box today. We met up at my old house made of wood at my giant wooden dining table that seats 14, a.k.a. the perfect echo chamber. Exactly what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> we drank champagne and talked about our friend Marie Antoinette, and we cleared up our first rumor. She did not say, let them eat cake. What? For real? We showed everyone a photo of Marie Antoinette's flush toilet at Versailles. <laughs> we show that on our show notes, which are jam-packed full of all kinds of resources for people to learn more about our subjects on their own. So that was our first set of show notes. And there's Marie Antoinette's toilet. So we're all done. 
That's all we do, right? That was so fun. Oh, no, no, no. There was a ladder-like vertical learning curve ahead. There were a lot of technical hurdles. For one thing, there's a thing called an RSS feed. Real simple syndication. Okay. Which these days you just push a button that says, hey, man, create my RSS feed. But at the time, you know, almost 10 years ago, there was not such a thing. Not in my world, anyway. You needed this file so that people could subscribe and get your new episodes. And I could no more write an RSS feed than I could send a man to the moon. (laughs) But luckily, NASA came to the rescue. For real. Well, a friend (laughs) who worked at NASA, I should say, who helped me put together the technical side and who told us while we were communicating about a woman named Katherine Johnson. Katherine Johnson, who luckily for widespread honor purposes was the main character in the movie and book Hidden Figures. She's a super smart woman of color. She was relegated to the basement offices of NASA, but she created math calculations that very few people understand, but that doesn't matter because they got Alan Shepard back to Earth from outer space. Not a small achievement. No. And that achievement got Catherine a building named after her, but not until... 2019, from the 1960s. Sometimes the glory is long in coming. (laughs) And we haven't covered her on our show because we do have a policy where we can't ever cover people who are still alive. But here she is in our minds, percolating in the background as a woman who succeeded in a male-dominated field. At this point, a third to a half, depending on your source, of all podcasters are women, though you wouldn't necessarily come to that conclusion in your reading about podcasting. Still to this day, there's this weird pushback about women's voices. You know, you should leave it to Dan Carlin, the king of history. And you cannot take any of that too seriously. We we didn't. Though I do remember crying at our first one-star review. We're better now. <laughs> yeah. Every show's not for everyone. We say it's just easy to push a button, escape from our voices, and you can receive your full refund for the free show you hated. <laughs> but there is a show out there for everyone. And that's the cool thing about podcasting. We have our first show recorded, our show about Marie Antoinette. We have finally figured out the RSS feed. We have posted it. And what we thought we were going to do is kind of sit back in anonymity. Maybe we would have one or two listeners. Our moms. (laughs) Who weren't related to us. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. No, that's fine. We thought we could get on with our learning of how to do podcasting and allow ourselves to suck a little bit, quite honestly. Ira Glass, he's the host of This American Life, has the best advice for creative people. He said, quote, for the first couple of years, you make stuff. It's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. Basically, you can just plan on the first couple of years sucking, although Ira Glass would never say that. Embrace the suck. That's what I say. (laughs) But back in the olden days, there used to be a person at iTunes that would pick out the new and noteworthy podcasts rather than a computer algorithm, which is the rumored source of new and noteworthy today. And we were plucked from obscurity and put on the main page. We were very discoverable and the pressure was on. We were just like those child stars that have to endure their adolescence right in the public eye. Awkward, awkward, awkward. While we were hanging out there in the public eye, we made a crucial decision, and that was to put Cinderella as our third episode. And it was actually really controversial looking back on it. It might have been kind of brave, maybe even a little foolhardy to choose her. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. But it's not the Cinderella of Disney. The Cinderella story goes way back to the ninth century in China, and it involves dead fish bones and some leather sandals. 
There's actually a second origin story from Egypt that's 1,400 years earlier than even that. We did get a little blowback for daring to do that thing, covering Cinderella in a women's history podcast. But here's why we did it. Fictional characters reflect and tell the stories of their culture in a way that we find fascinating. You can learn a lot more about a time or a place by the stories that fictional characters tell. And how the familiar story shifts with the environment that you place it in. And so we stuck to our early plan to do whatever the heck we felt like doing because A, we're not network TV and B, no one is the boss of us. <laughs> and we're still covering fictional characters. We covered Barbie not that long ago. Barbie, who actually reflects the culture she lives in more directly than even Cinderella did. So we're not going to stop with the fictional characters. We still need to cover Wonder Woman. We do. For one thing, she uh, goes across many eras and reflects her culture, too. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> Speaking of fiction and fictional characters, there was another subject an author who taught us a different kind of lesson. Jane Austen, writer of six novels, idolized by many, and it must be said, we resisted covering her for a long time. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fan. We're both a fan, but not fan girls. Like, she's fine. You know, we're fine. <laughs> we're fine girls. <laughs> yes. We held off covering her for over three years of pressure. And here's what we learned. She was sassier than we thought. <laughs> Here's an example. And I quote from Persuasion, Richard Musgrove, who had never done anything to entitle himself to more than the abbreviation of his name, living or dead. Jane Austen was telling us that he was a dick. <laughs> he had never done anything to entitle himself to more than his nickname, Dick. Aunt Jane? Oh my, oh my, what? where's my fan? <laughs> There's a story that when she turned 30, she was overtly happy and said, well, now that I'm 30, people are going to stop pressuring me to get married and I can just snap my fingers, sit by the fire and have someone bring me cups of wine. <laughs> I mean, artists are all delightfully off, but I thought Jane Austen was very starchy. So we don't know everything. And we suspected that, of course. But the lesson is we will learn some things we didn't expect. I did not want to listen to the listeners who voted for her in our guaranteed content poll once a season. We let the listeners pick, but I'm glad that we did. Yeah, me too. The opposite is also true. Conversely, women that we didn't know a lot about before we started research, we learned so much more than we ever knew existed. There was Josephine Baker, an American who found her fame dancing topless in a banana skirt. And going in, our knowledge of her was pretty much limited to the banana skirt part. Oh, oh. But she ran spy missions in World War II. She adopted a dozen children. And when life kicked her down, she climbed back up. In the end, we were both absolutely in awe of the way she pulled herself out of poverty. She took leaps in her career that, of course, we all raised an eyebrow to. <laughs> she snuck Allied secrets right in front of Nazi soldiers by various means, playing the airheaded pop star and putting state secrets right in her bra, for example, carrying messages in invisible ink on her sheet music. Once upon a time, these sweaty French resistance fighters barged into her house and said the Nazis were right behind them and could she help? She just ushered them through a door and shut it and said, be quiet. And the Nazis came and she played full Madonna to the star-struck young Nazi soldiers who had been a second ago in hot pursuit and were now fanning themselves and wishing Instagram had been invented. <laughs> 
<laughs> if ever there was a time for a selfie, it was right then. And here the resistance fighters are on the other side of the door. She risked her life. She saved thousands of Allied soldiers' lives with her information. And she was standing next to Martin Luther King Jr. years later when he made his I Have a Dream speech. She was that level of beloved and respected. And she even died with drama the day after she reignited her entertainment career. Rave reviews. And then she died. And she was buried with the help of her friend, Grace Kelly, of all people. So we unearthed a lot, and Josephine Baker has actually become my personal favorite subject that we have ever covered. Another more recent teacher, as far as we're concerned, is Audrey Hepburn, who was a survivor of World War II. She began as a dancer, turned into a model, and then an actor, and then, of course, a superstar and icon who finished out her remarkable life as a humanitarian. Everyone knows Breakfast at Tiffany's. Maybe they know the movie Sabrina or Roman Holiday. She was that actress with a peculiar accent that we just couldn't place, largely because she was a British woman raised in Holland <laughs> and <laughs> other places. And we vaguely recalled seeing her with a lot of little children on TV when we were little children, but that's about it. But the woman we met through our research was brave and loving, and she left her superstar career at a high point to stay home with her kids. And her work with UNICEF brought tears to our eyes and the eyes of the world. And it also raised a couple eyebrows. Surprisingly, there was some controversy about this because we covered a, quote, pop star. Until the audience listened to her story. That's the thing they learned right along with us. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Legacy Box, the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. What you do is you send your family's memories that are all trapped on expired media to the experts, and they'll do the rest, professionally digitizing your moments onto a thumb drive, digital download, or DVD. We lost my mother this last fall, and so... Looking through her things and finding boxes stored high, high up in the tall ceilings of her closet. It was a really big, I guess I have to say joy, to be able to put those into a format where we could watch them. And I have to tell you, my siblings and I were the most excited to get this done. And it gave us kind of a side of our mother we hadn't seen before. Um, Also good for joyous occasions, family reunions. I mean, just think about how awesome that would be to see all your older relatives with their crazy hairstyles and fashions of days long gone by. So take advantage of this. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash chicks to get 40% off your first order. So go to LegacyBox.com slash chicks and save 40% today and you can get started preserving your past. We learned also how to deal with controversial viewpoints. For example... 
did you know that in Zelda and F. Scott Fitzgerald world, there are people who are on Zelda's side and there are people who are on Scott's side. And the diagram of the two of them is nothing more than two circles as far apart as possible on a piece of paper. (laughs) We sure know that now. Yeah, we did. That was also really surprising. With Zelda, it was quite a task to manage weighing all of the evidence on both sides, on the Scott Fitzgerald side and the Zelda side, so that we could treat the facts fairly. As far as we were concerned, it was almost like threading a needle. It had to be that precise. We did put a disclaimer on that episode that our emotions pulled us in the direction of Zelda so that any leftover sympathy would have to be excused because we're only human. And we do that a lot. We will always lean to the side of our subjects because if we can understand the world through our subject's eyes, we're ready to tell her story. Owning up to your biases, no matter how honorably earned, is pretty important for your credibility. You know, like, here is a grain of salt, friends. Please take this. Please hold this. It is very big. Another controversial subject that we covered was Wallace Simpson. Wallace was the American divorcee who married British King Edward III, and that marriage forced him to abdicate the throne. Wallace is another person for whom there's a camp that hates her and one that is sympathetic to her, and never the twain shall meet, although so much of what is, quote, known about her isn't even based in fact. So we tried to dispel some rumors and then leave space for people to draw their own conclusions. So she is not completely the Wicked Witch of the West that she's been painted, and it would be very unfair of us to leave her there in her two dimensions and not add more to her story. Uh... Very few people are fully bad or fully good. I mean, you know, even Loki has a good side. (laughs) And I think we do that with everybody. But that was a particularly hard one. And oh my, um, did we get angry responses from people who wanted to hold on to that old picture of the evil queen who ruined British history and were absolutely not willing to accept the new information. Speaking of controversy, we never mean to stoke the fires of political discourse. We don't think that that's our position, but we sometimes give it an able assist. Sometimes there is a logic to the timing of when we post episodes. Things like these. Ida Wells, who was an African-American civil rights pioneer, she risked her life to spread awareness about lynching in the South through journalism and, despite death threats, assisted in making it a federal crime because when left to the states, it was not being addressed. Our timing of Pocahontas also, she was not at all like the Disney movie. She wasn't in love with John Smith. She did not voluntarily get integrated into white society. And there was definitely no animals talking to her. But she was a very strong woman, a very smart woman, a survivor. And to be called by her name is actually a compliment. We covered Anne Frank, who, of course, was the murdered teenage memoirist who put a voice and a face to the millions slaughtered by the Nazi regime in World War II. And most recently, Lydia Pinkham, who empowered women to take charge of their own health in an era in which even speaking about lady problems was a taboo subject. We sort of had something to say without actually saying it. Maybe what we were trying to say is this. Take these rearview mirror glasses and look backwards for just a minute. Last but not least, we try to be educational, but always entertaining, just mostly ourselves. My favorite thing that I've ever said on the whole podcast was when we were talking about Grace O'Malley, the pirate queen of Ireland, who was on her way on her ship to church. 
Sure she was. <laughs> <laughs> and she heard that there was some booty to be obtained from a crashed ship. There were actually two kinds of booty because there was a man. <laughs> and she ended up with a British lover in addition to some treasure, other kinds of treasure. <laughs> My favorite thing that Susan has ever said was during the Jane Austen oh. podcast when she said that she had suffered a loss of continence <laughs> instead of a loss of countenance, which brings quite another picture to her demanding another glass of wine. And I doubled down on it. Like I said it <laughs> and you questioned me and I said it again. It still makes me laugh. That, that whole thing makes me laugh today. <laughs> so over the course of nine, almost 10 years here, we have told the stories of over 150 women and a couple of men who created women like L. Frank Baum and the Wizard of Oz, Charles Dodson and Alice in Wonderland, Frederick Bartholdi, creator of the Statue of Liberty, who in fact was not a woman, but an inanimate object. So maybe we have three categories. <laughs> Beckett and I have been able to travel to ancient Egypt. We have been able to witness the destruction of the library at Alexandria. Ooh. I know. That one's a crusher. We've gone on a crusade or two. Uh, we went through revolutions, both political and cultural. We saw the sinking of the Titanic. We saw the golden age of Hollywood. It's really the best kind of time travel, since everyone can do it from the comfort of home. And you don't need antibiotics. <laughs> So if you've been with us all along and listened, thank you so much. And if you're just coming to either the world of podcasts or the History Chicks in particular, we and women throughout history welcome you. And so that brings us to the end of our presentation. Thank you so much for being here. Bye. We were so happy to meet some listeners at the convention and look forward to meeting more of you as we do more live shows. As soon as we can get some audio from a panel that we did that ended up quite wonderful called How to Manage Your Time When You're Podcasting, which actually sort of turned into other things, we will post that audio. Thank you very much to James Harper of Harper Active, who lets us use his music for the ad breaks. The end song is Daughters of History by Morning Spy.
It's the devil in the whiskey. It's the devil in the whiskey, not me. It's the devil in the whiskey. It's the devil in the whiskey, not me. We're in love with a face like the moon. Eyes like the skies over. Whiskey.